Well, all right. So what is trap music? I keep hearing this and I have no idea what it is. Is it like EDM? <laughs> it's not like EDM. Tucker Carlson Rewatch Podcast. My name is Robert, and I am joined today by Tucker enthusiasts Aaron and Rachel. So, tell me guys, what is it that you like so much about Tucker Carlson's journalism? I think, for me, it's that he bleeds masculinity. Everything about him makes me, this is a man's (laughs) man. This is the only man alive who could put John Wayne in a headlock and out-duke the Duke. That's what Rachel likes about him, too, right? (laughs) It's the masculinity. He's he's a masculine icon for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, actually, I was just thinking how, like, his face could easily... It looks like a baby face. Like, he's... (laughs) Oh, I just... What is is more manly than to have a smooth face with... Bow ties. Bow ties are more manly. Bow ties, exactly. It takes a man. And this is what the woke libs don't want you to think about okay they want you in your little you know coastal cities sanctuary cities sanctuary from what you have to ask this question sanctuary from what sanctuary okay from what makes america america because they're afraid they're afraid of america tucker carlson is not afraid of america that's what his journalism is all about it is about america it's about what makes us great and we should not be afraid of that. This is the thing we will play uh, before the leftist tribunal when we sentence Aaron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is so scary oh, how well you can do that, Aaron. I don't I, like it. I, I have a buddy of mine, undergrad, and we used to drive around in his truck listening to, um, uh, what's his name? Mark Levin. <laughs> and mm. just get infuriated about him spewing hate. And uh, that's informed our friendship. Well, this is actually The Right Can't Read, a podcast about how the political right fries works of art and culture from their creators' cold, dead hands in order to create more goddamn interstate strip malls. One of our my favorite recurring things on our podcast is we never deliver the same description no, twice. No, not a single time. <laughs> My greatest artistic joy at the moment has been trying to make my art more indecipherable. Hell yes. In, in the Aaron more. Simon school of making art. <laughs> Goddamn right. People like it. You just didn't put enough art in it. Yeah. The <laughs> the ideal form of like music is just like weird atonal screeching noises, not made by any instruments, but like just heard sounds. So like the sound of uh, uh a car door being scratched by a crow's uh, like talon. <laughs> so punk rock. <laughs> um, how are we all doing today? Alive, surviving. This is, I've been in meetings for five hours today, and I'm really looking forward to what I'm sure is going to be an upbeat discussion. Yes, I asked you that <laughs> question because I'm excited to make that answer worse. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> so, Aaron, Rachel... I'll begin today's episode by whisking you away to an unimaginably halcyon time. 
comparatively speaking. I'm referring to 2012. <laughs> I no longer remember that time. Well, as some reminders, Obama's hopeful chipperness was slowly dissolving in front of all of our eyes. <laughs> Flowrider somehow had three songs in the top 20. The best thing wow. I know about Flowrider is he was on an episode of Silicon Valley. And really? There was, yeah, and like the he was performing at a billionaire's party. And the guy, the guy was carried to the stage, dressed as it was a toga party. So he was dressed as an emperor, and he was carried to the stage by people in, in togas while he was sitting on a throne. And he was on stage, and he he was, gave a spiel, and he's like, "And now I'm going to turn it over to Florida." <laughs> that is accurate. And um, the Avengers had recently been outgrossed by the Expendables. Wait, the Expendables? No, I did not know that. that no, is, no, I, I'm reading. Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, okay. But those, okay, those movies did weird... come out together, and I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I forgot about the Expendables. Did yeah. you ever see that? Horrible. No. I liked it because I like those dumb action movies. Yeah. It's it's the dumbest action movie. It's, it is the dumbest action movie. It's well inside the genre of like, we need old dudes to still think they fuck. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh no. it was it was fun. I enjoyed it. If I remember, I think it's got like the least problematic of the action guys. I might what be wrong. Be? Doesn't have Stallone in it? Stallone, but I don't. What has he done? Bad things. I don't know. <laughs> like it's I hard think, to say nowadays. Yeah, it is. I but, mean, it doesn't have Seagal, which makes yeah. it slightly better than. And it doesn't have Schwarzenegger. It had. I don't know about if Dolph Lundgren did did anything reprehensible, but he was also a chemistry, like a. He's got a master's, I think, in chemistry, so he's like a weirdly smart guy for that crowd. That's weird. Yeah. Huh. Well, but the most important anyway. thing about 2012, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 had just come out for the first time. Cod <laughs> 3? Was that was that before Cod Blop? Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of... Was it before Cod Blop or was it after Cod Blop? What, is, what, is what word are you saying? Oh, it's in Call of Duty Black Ops. Black oh. Ops. Oh, yeah, wow. so, I like that a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Modern Warfare 3 was before Black Ops. So maybe it was after Black yeah. Ops 1. All right. All I remember, I never played Modern Warfare 3, but my nephew did. And my nephew thought it was amazing that he would just trounce me every yeah. time I was over. Because he was like 11 at the time, maybe younger. So he still he had like unstoppable killing machine. Yeah. 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 He was good at discerning little bits of brown from other bits of brown yeah. on the screen. Yeah. 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 Much like your nephew, for me and my little brother, Modern Warfare 3 was more of a lifestyle choice than a video game. <laughs> <laughs> we spent endless hours playing that motherfucker until we were so good at the game that we got the Osprey Gunner multiple times a gaming session. I don't know. I don't care that you guys don't know what that is. I know. It, was, wasn't that where you could, like, summon the helicopter? Yeah, and you just fucking yeah. kill everyone on the whole map. 
So Rachel, I'm shark doesn't care. I care. I'm a good friend. (laughs) So after you hit a certain kill streak, you could summon different things. And one of them was like an Osprey. So it was a helicopter that just went around blowing people out. And you had to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It was like drone strikes. Was that in Modern Warfare 3? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I've maybe played. Sorry. I think I've maybe played no more than three hours of Call of Duty (laughs) ever. Congratulations. (laughs) That's a really great choice. (laughs) I'm going to try and keep up with you guys here. Yeah. Yeah. In short, it was a mind-numbing blend of quick twitch shooting, bright light IVs, and an online bullying simulator. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was a perfect game for a maladjusted teenager. It was great. Um, The only thing that could really harsh our obsession was the times that our father came in and referred to it as quote the killing game unquote (laughs) (laughs) with a very sarcastic roll of his eyes (laughs) he just didn't get it sometimes after a particularly long session of the killing game we would come out and he would chide us that the game promoted violence and that it was the worst form of patriotism and that people our age should be out doing minor vandalism instead of inside playing video games And I come to you here today humbly to read several thousand words that summarize into the worst sentence a person can say out loud. I think my dad was right. (laughs) The killing game. The killing game. Wonderful. Very fucking <laughs> passive aggressive. <laughs> That's prime dad. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. big That's... dad energy. Yeah. My uh so when I was a kid, like it was yeah, when I, I don't think it was easy to get on line with people until I was like in high school, I think. I'm glad that I'm talking about that later in this episode so people will be able to date exactly your high school career. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like I remember uh, when Turok came out on Nintendo 64. That was a good one. Yeah. uh, Turok was a game where you, I think, I think Turok was an indigenous guy who got like, abducted or something by aliens and put on a planet where there were dinosaurs so sounds fun where there yeah, used it was. to be dinosaurs until you killed every one of those motherfuckers yeah <laughs> got him right uh and yeah my mom was not a fan of that game and and uh because there was blood so she <laughs> made me play it with green blood on so that it was not <laughs> as violent it's like the nickelodeon uh what's it the, the splat stuff Mm, yeah. yeah, the slime. Yeah. <laughs> the slime. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. To rock. Good game. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought it up because I haven't. I didn't actually mention it in this episode, but it was a good first-person shooter. Yeah, that's it's. Uh, I think that came out before Goldeneye. Might have. And that's. Uh, it was either that or Goldeneye was one of the first ones I remember playing. Uh. Yeah. 
So that's the end of my little intro, and we're going into section one. Let's do it. All right. So far, I'm having a great time. I don't know what could be possible problematic about where this could all. this go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> um, section one: Who made the duty? Um, <laughs> how, how were you just like giggling for five minutes? I, was, when you... <laughs> I I wrote that, and then I looked over Caitlin, and I was like, "How many times can I put a duty joke in this script before <laughs> everyone logs off the call?" <laughs> Oh, so um, before we get into my unhinged political rant, I would like to explain the genre a little. Even if you don't play video games, you know what first-person shooters are. First-person shooters are defined by two things. One, shooting, and two, being in first person. These simple choices are genius, because once you learn the controls, it is as intuitive as using your own eyes and ears and feet. Except in real life, I can't crank my sensitivity up and pivot at the speed of light. <laughs> so it isn't always better. Well, I mean, you know, with, with the original, like, Doom and Quake, you didn't even need to crank the sens- yeah, sensitivity up. You just on a yeah, swivel. Yeah, you'd fucking rock it around. <laughs> yeah, there's or no... Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein. The, well, mm. We're going to talk a lot about Wolfenstein. Ugh. Yeah, there's no, like, avatar to pilot awkwardly through Azeroth, no drop-down menus to sort through, no what obvious... What's the point in playing? Yeah, you're you a Paradox game guy, we know! <laughs> you don't have a oh. spreadsheet to manage factory input in the autumn, <laughs> then, you know... <laughs> Aaron likes games that aren't fun. <laughs> he likes about them. He likes that they're not fun. I don't know what you're talking about. That flight simulator from 1998 I barely have working now is a great time. <laughs> Nothing like getting a uh, a game developed for Windows 95, I guess, at the time. Uh, lurching forward on a modern machine, but only if you don't use a key part of the game because it makes it crash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the simplicity of first-person shooters can be really great. I don't know a gamer that doesn't have at least one beloved first-person shooter. They're slick, they're intuitive, and it just makes everyone from a casual player to a hardcore strategy nerd have a good time. Kind of? I mean, yeah. well, like it, you it, have a favorite first-person shooter, What's yeah. It? But like, if it goes into like multiplayer, then it's hell on earth. Oh yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I think my, I don't know. My in first... the words of the ESRB, online content may not be rated. <laughs> yes, I think I don't know. My favorite FPS is it's a tie between 2016 Doom and uh, the Wolfenstein: The New Order. Yes, the one those that came are... out in 20. 20- 14 or something those are the factually correct answers to that question <laughs> here we go succeed do, do you have a first person shooter you're not a big video game gal right rachel no and actually i've just been trying to like rack my brain about like what are other first person shooter games that i know about <laughs> <laughs> is assassin's creed a first person shooter game third no. person yeah that okay. is a uh stealth adventure game for the first few and now it's just like an open world soup yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, short answer is no. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like that a lot for you. Um, 
<laughs> Again, Rachel comes off as the most normal, just well-adjusted person on the call. Is that why I'm here? <laughs> yeah. We need the balance. And <laughs> you you barely do it. You barely get the scales level. <laughs> it's like you on one end, us on the other, and Anubis in the middle going like, I guess they can not be alligators work, yeah. for all eternity. Yeah. Love it. Oh yeah. The so but the first person shooter genre was like the dominant type of game from the first moment it was invented. Um, and it started with two big games that Aaron mentioned that have been remade lots of times, Doom and Wolfenstein. There were others before it, but like, ah, who cares? Yeah, I don't it's yeah. Like the I think the thing that makes those like the most notable is like they are the first like 3D big ones. Yeah, and the first 3D big ones that were playable on the home computer. Yeah, it's like prior to that, you have a lot of arcade games that are kind of first-person shooter, but there's also like a bunch of weirdness. Yeah, okay. Because uh, you can't really do that without spending money to go to the mall or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It moved nerd genre from fluorescent lit mall rooms to... Yep your home which is where all nerds always want to be so and confirm <laughs> yeah so that was a vast improvement in our lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> now we can all be weird little gnomes who don't leave the apartment yeah praise be to wolfenstein <laughs> hail bj blaskowitz yeah um, these games are pretty simple. You'd wander down endless hallways that pretty much looked the same and just shoot anything that came on screen. <laughs> it was a solid concept, simply executed. Also, one of the one of the hooks for the game, Wolfenstein and Doom, is like the the idea of like secrets. Yeah. So you go through these hallways that all look the same, and if you touch specific places. Like the wall goes back and you can get a bunch of health and ammo and stuff. And I have no idea how people found these things before <laughs> the internet. I It baffles my mind yeah. beyond like people talking to each other and being like, oh yeah, if you touch that painting. Because mm -hmm. I need to outsource being the kind of obsessive compulsive weirdo <laughs> that puts their cursor on every pixel of a game. You know, you can play the fuck else. <laughs> you can play the like uh, Bethesda put out the uh the original wolfenstein for like just browsers <laughs> nice you can yeah, play it inside it's... chrome or something yeah i don't know if it's still up but they're like when i when i got out of grad school and i was working in a dead-end clerk job that's how i got through a good chunk of my days <laughs> browser wolfenstein yep <laughs> that's awesome oh so these games were like simple, effective. You either shoot Nazis or demons in a hallway after hallway after hallway. But games would get pretty interesting pretty quickly. And this really started with people modding Doom, <laughs> adding things like a Y axis or multiplayer or better graphics or RPG elements, like making games that were just variations of Doom became like a whole fucking industry for yeah. a minute. So, um, if, do you know who uh, Tim Rogers is? No. Okay, he's a games journalist, and now he does a bunch of things, including like a YouTube channel where he does these very long videos about games. Yeah. And one of them was like a three-hour <laughs> video about Doom. 
Yeah. And part of it is like asking, well, what is Doom? And the reason he asked that is because of all the modding yeah. that you can do. And like now there's like a recurring joke on uh line about like, can it run Doom? <laughs> <laughs> and people just putting Doom on everything from, you know, a giant screen to uh, like a pregnancy ch- test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much anything can run Doom at this point in the modern world. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like a thousand Doom clones and everyone who knows how to do like basic computer programming does their own like version of Doom. And this leads to like um, the medium very quickly innovating because like everyone has access to this thing that everyone likes and changes it in their own way. And we very quickly get cool games like Marathon or my favorite System Shock. Okay. Yeah, I know System Shock. I don't know Marathon. It's like a older, like it was one of the first, like really fun, like squad type experience oh, okay. things. Um, and so, and these are just like reskins of Doom ideas. Like System Shock is. You can see Rachel's eyes just glassing over immediately. <laughs> no, I'm following. I have my I have my Google open next to me, oh, so I can look up what system shock looks like. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a all right. Yeah, go ahead. That's yeah. Googling system shock and being like, "Fuck, this looks like shit." Um, oh, it, it really just reminds me. Know. I'm like, oh shit, this is old. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 like 30 years old now. Yeah, 20 years That's old. Actually, like yeah. That, yeah. Um, and then, so like System Shock and that like whole generation come out and then you get the invention of something called the Unreal Engine, which allowed everything to be 3D now, like everything in a game was 3D in a way that like hadn't quite been done before. And that was a big fucking deal for people. And Unreal was tied to a game called Unreal. Yeah, that no one ever gave a shit about. Well, like I remember that was pretty popular. I had friends who played Unreal. But only because the Unreal Engine. And then the minute anything else got made on the Unreal Engine, they were like, holy <laughs> shit, this is better. I, well, yeah, no, because I guess like the default for a while was Quake mm. and not Unreal. But yeah. yeah, like Unreal Engine is still very much around right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it Unreal is, Engine 5 or something. Yeah. Like a, and un, it makes epic games uh, untold billions of money. Yeah. yeah. If you play a first person shooter, odds are like it's on the Unreal Engine. It's like a big deal. Or even the, the Marvel's Midnight Suns, which I've been enjoying a lot. Really? Is, it's on Unreal? It's on Unreal. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you get this big tech boost, and that gets people who are, like, more interested in, like, creating, like, actual livable fictional worlds into the genre. Um, and maybe the most iconic game of all time is produced by, like, someone who is interested in, like, really creating a narrative pairing up with this new tech boost 1998's half-life yeah yeah, which literally everyone who got into video games between 1998 and like 2012 had like a foundational experience at 11 or 12 years old so here's my thing is i never did what i i came never played half-life no i came through it and came came to where i am in a really weird route so like we had we had a PC when I was a kid, but I only played like Math Blaster on it Sick. until we got to like <laughs> Windows 98. And when 98 rolled around, um, we were moving states. 
so things got rocky. So like I didn't play any PC games until like uh, XP came around. And I was for whatever reason, I only got into like Blizzard games and weird strategy games like the one called Cossacks <laughs> where, and Age of Empires. So like historical strategy. very on brand for you. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> so yeah, like I never played Half-Life. That's wild. <laughs> for those of you who aren't big into first-person shooters like Rachel, um, not playing Half-Life and being into video games is kind of like not reading Lord of the Rings and being into fantasy <laughs> literature. It's like not <laughs> foundational to yeah. the genre. I'd have played Portal. Yeah, Portal's good. Yeah. There's is no it a first-person shooter? You it's, do shoot stuff. You shoot portals. In the first person. Portal yeah. gets a pass. Portal's a first-person shooter. It's, a, um, it's an FPS puzzle game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so Half-Life's cool because it does this whole, like, immersive storytelling element where, like, everything you interact with in the world, like, gives you a clue as to what's happening in this, like, government experiment gone wrong. And it's really, like, narratively powerful. It's just, like, a good fucking game. It's one of the first games that's, like, here's a narrative and a game mechanic, and we're cramming them together in a way that's really satisfying. Being in the first person, having limited information, shooting stuff, and narrative are all kind of one thing in Half-Life. Yep. Which, which is cool. It's a good yep. game. Play Half-Life. Um, but right after... Half-Life 3 win. Fuck. <laughs> Don't play Half-Life 3 if it comes out. Um, wait, wait, wait. I just have to say, so I obviously Googled Half-Life, yep. and then top stories nine hours ago and three hours ago. Half-Life writer admits self-publishing episode three plot was deranged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. So like, yeah, that's one of the many kind of internet nerd jokes is like Half-Life 3 will only come out if certain things are confirmed. And yeah. so for a while on Reddit, it was like people making these <laughs> corkboard red yarn connections between three <laughs> things and then going half-life three confirmed yeah it's the internet version of like that person you run into at a farmer's market who talks <laughs> about how the apocalypse is coming because yeah. of, like obscure <laughs> geopolitical events it's like that but for the yeah. release of an fps game because everyone's <laughs> a fucking kook um, yeah um so the problem with half-life and like telling a powerful story is that trying to make something good is what immediately leads to the death of the genre. Um, <laughs> and kind of at Half-Life, people see the power and like the true like selling potential of this genre, and it forks. Um, an example of this is I would like to talk about one of my favorite games from this like early 2000s to like 2010 time, and that is Bioshock. Yeah, Bioshock. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. <laughs> I am Andrew Ryan. As Aaron has just revealed, Bioshock is a game about how much people hate Anne Rand. <laughs> it's just a, like... <laughs> multi-hour rant against anyone who liked atlas shrugged <laughs> can we go into the plot of bioshock because i fucking love it absolutely go aaron all right so bioshock it's 
it starts off when like you are in a plane crash over i think the, the pacific yeah. and you wind up like right next to this uh weird lighthouse in the middle of the ocean and you get into like a bathysphere which is like a, you know a little pot that goes underwater and you find your way into this giant underground city or underwater city called rapture that was made by this guy named andrew ryan who's basically john galt from <laughs> atlas shrugged but you come to it like after things have gone to hell. So part most of the game is like trying to figure out what's happening and trying to rescue yourself and a few other people. Uh, during the game, like you you run into these like <laughs> kind of mutant experiment girls who travel through various like ducts in the city. And they're like girls. They're like small yeah. children. Yeah, like small children. <laughs> Who are watched over by these giant things in like big uh, underwater old time scuba gear, and like with uh, the big the big helmets with like uh-huh. the grates on the and face. they got a yeah. big like drill drill arm and they'll they'll don't they'll fuck you up. Yeah. Uh, so like mechanics wise, it's pretty cool because like you you part of the reason everything went to shit is it was like unregulated science so people started doing these horrible scientific experiments but the benefit of that is uh you get to do things like breathe fire uh you get to shoot bees aaron you get to shoot bees out of That's your the hands. best one oh, okay out okay. of your hand you know, <laughs> not out of a gun you just get to be yeah. like bees yeah. <laughs> and it's fucking great so uh yeah it's a it's a really cool game uh it's got a lot of it, yeah, it basically, the, the premise hinges on that, like, libertarian ideals wind up with everything going to hell real quick. Yeah. Uh, and then it came out with, there was a sequel that I never played, and then... It was pretty good, and the third yeah, one was even okay. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Infinite is, like, a, a more focused take on American history yeah. and kind of mythologizing, but, like, amped up. Yeah. So it takes place in a uh, in a city in the clouds called Columbia. And instead of like the big, uh, what are they called? Big brothers or whatever big they daddy. are. Big daddy. Uh, it's like <laughs> these, I think it's like mechs that are built like the founding fathers. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. That, <laughs> that can and try to kill you. It's really, yeah, it's a cool game. Yeah. They're fucking awesome. They're like yeah. weird, surrealist political rants where you yeah. just like run through and shoot capitalists. I, I think the third one is the one that had, it was like the first out of horrible internet discourse about the ending of a Absolute game fucking yeah that then like went overdrive with mass effect 3 yeah and and in fact if the internet was more of a thing the first one would have had that as well yeah but um because they're big Definitely. into like if you become like the capitalist bastard of the game there's like a different ending yeah like you can harvest you can harvest yeah. these small girls in the first <laughs> game for their powers yeah. And become like this demigod, but you get the bad ending. And if yeah. you don't well. suck the power from small children, you get the good <laughs> ending. Yeah. The third one is a bit more of like a a weird uh, sci-fi yeah. ending that I that I liked a lot. Uh, but yeah, in short. So in what you said, sorry, this came out mid aughts, it's like yeah, two thousand eight. I think, it was, like 2000, I think okay. it was earlier. Was it earlier? Exact date. Okay um bioshock God, this is gonna make me want to play this game again. yeah and it's still it's still playable it's fucking great yeah no they did like a remaster of it i think yeah. too and it's very yeah. good i played yeah. it 
as a part of this episode. Um, if you can a man um, chooses a slave obeys. Yeah, it's just got deranged Anne Rand quotes throughout like the whole episode, throughout the whole fucking game that they're playing over loudspeakers. It's play Bioshock, play all the Bioshocks. They're all good. Um, yeah, and it's the same thing as Half Life. Like the shooting and the not knowingness of like a first person perspective, your limited knowledge is what makes the game fun. It's like great because you don't know what's going on and all you have to do is just be like an orgy of violence until you get to the end. <laughs> it's fucking yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah. An orgy of violence yeah. until you get to the end. This, this is another killing game here. This is another killing game. But this one's about politics, so it's smart. Um, <laughs> and... And there's games like Bioshock, there's Deus Ex, there's a bunch of great games like this that come out from like 2000, 2010. In parallel to these good games is a second through line in the genre. <laughs> something I refer to as the popcorn shooter. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, the more cerebral titles are doing things like meta commentary and subverting tropes and environmental storytelling. We're getting, I'm getting ahead of us, but Spec Ops The Line. Yeah, it's a good meta game on which I almost wrote a lot about, but then I realized that it's actually a third person shooter. Fuck, you're right, it is. I had to. I I wrote like literally two pages about Spec Ops of the Line. I was like, I'm gonna go watch some gameplay, and I was like, fuck, this is the third person. Yeah, you're right. Shit, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I did the exact same thing you did, though. Yeah, yeah, play Spec (laughs) Ops the Line, it's Heart of Darkness, but actually good. Um, <laughs> fuck you, Joseph Conrad. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. You should have stuck to short stories. Some of them were fine. Um, the spy is pretty good. Is it the spy? It's, it's something. He's got a, a a book about uh a cop who who goes undercover with an anarchist network in London. Nice. It's it's a good one. In case you were wondering if our first person shooter episode was. <laughs> too hard to like enter into we're going into b sides of joseph conrad it really is amazing i'm like how do you know about this man who wrote this book like i don't your knowledge is just exploding my brain this is what i did in college rachel (laughs) (laughs) because i have an obsessive compulsive disorder to just keep consuming knowledge like Ungoliant sucking the life out of the light trees in an effort to darken the world, and all it does is darken my own psyche. Um, and if you get that reference, you too are that way. Oh, I don't um, know what that is, but that's great. <laughs> uh, in the that? in the Silmarillion, she lobs oh, okay. Lord of the Rings sucks right. the Silmarils out of these big light trees and becomes so full of light that she's undefeatable and just like crawls away into darkness because nothing in the world is worth consuming anymore it's fucking it's a cool piece of mythology Tolkien fucking nails it sometimes Um, I I read that when I was 14 and I was confused yeah (laughs) that's that's how most people respond to that Um, so you've got this one part of the genre that's like trying to do all these fun quirky things for people who like to think about stuff (laughs) and then you have another part the popcorn shooter which are pure fucking vibes 
it's the mental equivalent of just like taking cocaine through enema. You're just like so many <laughs> fucking bright lights and loud noises are happening in your field of vision that you're oh wow just like flatline and they're fun i hate to say mm-hmm. but they are they in this <laughs> time they center around like short campaigns where you play as people doing things like d-day or stalingrad and then you hop online <laughs> and kill other teenagers um medal of honors of the world yeah call of duty medal of yeah. honor battlefield this genre of game mm-hmm. um they're like grand theft auto without any of the clever satire they're just there for the <laughs> violence in grand theft auto um, where is it what i i am trying to find uh for whatever reason steam is not letting me type which is strange uh but anyway i was trying to look at how much time i had poured into team fortress 2 yeah tf2 <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's another one yeah Oh, um, so like, yeah, Battlefield, Medal of Honor, Team Fortress, all big, but Call of Duty is objectively the king of the popcorn shooter. Wait, why are you calling it popcorn shooter? Just because it's like, it's like a Michael Bay film or like another action film. It's like not, you just turn your brain off and like throw shit into your mouth in those movies. Got it. And Call of Duty is turn your brain off and click the buttons as hard as possible. Okay, that makes sense. And like, when I say this is big not being like a video game person it's hard to contextualize what i mean because like video games are in an underground way the most profitable thing in the world as a franchise call of duty is the ninth highest grossing franchise ever wow like i mean i believe it like not being anywhere near video video game culture like i know about it like i have seen people like i am very aware of it and it's been in my world you know for a long time um yeah so yeah i'm not surprised by that at all in fact the number one grossing franchise of all time is a video game it's pokemon but um nice call of duty ranks one spot behind harry potter wow two spots ahead of all of the batman ever made it's like unbelievably profitable wow yeah it has made a total of 31 billion dollars in its 20-year existence like it's insane the kind of money this game makes yeah um i played a lot of like the medal of honor games when i was a kid yeah and uh, i so i i don't have a way to track those hours but team fortress 2 clocks in at 180 hours on steam <laughs> so just yeah that's that's for reference yeah. <laughs> i like my i like some popcorn shooters yeah i mean i like yeah. i played a lot of overwatch before yeah they broke overwatch and made it unplayable yeah. um yeah. They, they're like a fun time yeah some of them are even not all that problematic um some yeah but as we'll be getting into call of duty is not one of them um and this sort of gap between like esoteric weird nerd games and popcorn shooters has only gotten like greater since the early 2000s. You have like in the 2010s, Call of Duty basically just turned into like a weird racism simulator. And then you have like how you have games like Far Cry 3, which have like a lot of commentary and things like that happening. They're just like not 
functionally in the same genre. They're yeah. different. They're like entirely different games. This is the Protestant Catholic schism of <laughs> video game communities. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, I, I, I think the last Call of Duty I played was still when they were doing like World War II games. Yeah. And it was like, I think it was the Big Red One where you were a paratrooper. I think that was the last one. So I never played any of the modern stuff because it always felt kind of squiffy. It absolutely is. Yeah. You and have the I, modern warfare genre, which is like how effectively yeah. can we kill Middle Easterners? And you have the Black Ops vein of Call of Duty where it's like, what if we were better at killing communists in the 50s? And those are the two Call of Duties that are made today. Yep. I don't think Modern Warfare is still around. Uh, Medal of Honor is still around. I don't think it is. Yeah. Because no. that, that, yeah, those were, those were the ones that had titles like Warfighter. <laughs> Doomed. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's not as catchy as Cotplop. Cotplop, <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh yeah so with this schism we are leaving part one part two i am super into bj blaskovitz in a sexual way <laughs> he's a hunk yeah that's that's the title of part two and i stand by it yeah um, he's a hunk <laughs> Uh, so to understand this, the depth of this like genre schism, I want to discuss the two games that epitomize it. The first, as we have promised, is Wolfenstein. Ooh. Yeah, uh, not the original Wolfenstein because I'm not an '80s teen arguing with my parents about whether the home computer is just a fad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm... the Wolf, the the original Wolfenstein is very hard. Yeah, yeah, and. Fun for the 1980s, probably. I mean, it's still fun, but it's still very hard. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about the new Wolfenstein. The gritty Chris Nolan-esque reboot centered on absolute <laughs> unit BJ Blaskovich. While there are... BJ Blaskovich. <laughs> Wait, is that the character in it? Or yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Say it properly. Totten Gops. <laughs> Aaron has played these games before. Um, <laughs> while there are a few new games that have come out recently, the main two in our primary focus have the subtitles The New Order and The New Colossus, because those are the good ones. Um, yeah. I, I, did you play the third one? I did. It's fine. Yeah. I I, I don't like co-op stuff yeah. most of the time. And I was like, I, I was looking at it and I'm like, I can't get any of my friends to play this. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I got them all as a humble bundle, so it was like, oh, okay. sure. Yeah. Um, so the premise of Wolfenstein, the new Wolfensteins, is that you're in an alternate history where due to technological breakthroughs, the Nazis won World War II. And it now dawns on Rachel why Aaron and I love these fucking games. <laughs> that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. 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 The, the first mission in uh, the new order is like in, I think it's in 1946. I think so. And yeah. the Allies are like launching this last, last ditch effort to kill the guy who's responsible for the technological advances. Who's basically like Joseph Mengele and Albert Einstein wrapped into one human being. Yeah, and his, his name is Death's Head Totenkopf. 
and he lives in this giant <laughs> castle somewhere in the Baltic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so it starts off and like you you're in like this bomber formation and you're shooting down other bombers and then you crash and you have to like get through like like kind of a D-Day situation. But the difference is in 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 this D-Day there are gigantic angry mechanical dogs yeah. that are trying to kill you and and go nom 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 nom. Yeah. The technological <laughs> breakthroughs aren't like the Nazis got nuclear weapons first. It's like the Nazis okay. got giant mechs with Tesla coil hands. Yeah. So like, I'm glad you clarified because I was yeah. thinking the first option. No. Yeah, no I mean it's... they do have nukes, but yeah. you don't run okay. into it in the game. I mean, like, honestly, this sounds like a game that would be right up my alley if I played video games. Yeah, I love it's that really shit. fun. It's sort it's of like what fun. if the Nazis were good at being wily e. coyote it's <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. yeah it's all like really complicated steampunk bullshit Sounds it's fun. really yeah. fucking good yeah um you play as the titular bj blaskovich the person that we've been talking about the whole time yep. um who is a jewish member of the u.s military who looks a lot like the poster child for nazism yeah um, he's tall okay. blonde blue-eyed and fucking jacked um, he's yoked. He's huge. Um, <laughs> I would like an audio clip of Aaron just saying yoked. yoked. <laughs> Thank you. There is a there is like a review of this game on Rock Paper Shotgun where they were describing it much the same way. And they were like, but the most amazing thing about him is that he has the softest, most gentle eyes. Yeah. Of any, of any video game character. And that's the cool thing about BJ. He is a violent, destructive, insane person who does nothing but kill. And he is a kind, sensitive, thoughtful man who listens. Like one of the first things that happens in the game is you 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 you're waking up from a dream that he's having of just having a nice house. Yeah. somewhere in the suburbs of i think it's like dallas or wherever he's from yeah with like a couple of kids and he's just sitting there in the barbecue like ha- having a barbecue and then yeah. you wake up and almost get bitten up by a uh, mechanical dog yeah and he's this like violent fucking crazy person who <laughs> throughout the games defers to women listens to minorities experiences and takes advice from fucking nerds He's yep. like a really cool, well-adjusted man. And he's buddies with an eccentric old Jewish man yeah. who's, who mumbles Yiddish bedtime songs. Yeah. <laughs> he's the best. Seth yeah. Roth is who I want to be. I want to be <laughs> Seth Roth. That makes absolute <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> oh. Simpson. Yeah. It's great. And that's the cool thing about like Wolfenstein is that it repeatedly puts BJ into positions where like he as the like violent leader of an insurrectionist movement against the Nazi takeover of America, like is good at killing people, but to accomplish his goals needs to listen to lessons from black folks, from Jews, from queers, from the disabled. Yeah. So, like like, the first, yeah. The first game involves like, eight, I mean, the, the big bonkers plot points are you, you, you go underwater to get nuclear codes from a giant U-boat. You then you go to the moon to get <laughs> nukes from the moon, and then you blow up a a giant thing in like a a, a big robot with lasers <laughs> in London, and then you you stage this big siege and like attack Death's Head in his compound. 
but like in, in like the the subtle bits of it like you're working with a woman who's running a resistance cell in the cellars in the the sewers of berlin and she is disabled in a wheelchair your comrades uh are like a, a severely traumatized man who was a it was an african resistance fighter uh and then like you can choose different timelines so like in one you've got a, a neurodivergent woman who is super weird about physics and, and quantum <laughs> theory and everything and then there's like also Jimi hendrix <laughs> as a kid and then like the second one is as set- a kid okay yeah yeah <laughs> and then the second one is set in america we're like a lot of you guys it's i've only played that one once so i it's don't really, really good yeah so it's like you work with the black panthers basically in new york yeah and then you go to i think new orleans yeah where you work with basically uh the reverend horton heat <laughs> and his cadre of also resistance fighters so yeah and, it's, it's really cool like it's a cool yeah. diverse group of characters who have like legit stakes in fighting an authoritarian fascist regime and the point of like the game that the game hammers in over and over again is like bj's privilege of like looking like he does and being the kind of man he is means that he is blind to the issues that these people's face and so bj has like some inherently nazi-ish tendencies because his desire is to like defend America from the Nazis, defend the world from the Nazis. Yeah. So anything that isn't the Nazis is good in BJ's world. And the games are about him like slowly unlearning that. Yeah. Like that's um, one of the cool dialogues yeah. you have with Jimi Hendrix is yeah. basically that. And Hendrix like gives him a drop of acid. <laughs> and it's like, you are the Nazis for people like me. Yeah. But one of the, uh, one of the cool bits did you watch the Jacob Geller video? About yeah, Wolfenstein? a thousand okay. times. Yeah, I think like he has the 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 best critique of the game, and I think it is the only thing wrong with the game is Blaskovich doesn't really do anything Jewish. Yeah, aside. he's definitely he's very like Goyish. He's very yeah. he's very he is very Aryan. Yeah, aside from knowing Hebrew, yeah, and being halakhically Jewish with his mom being like he. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the only thing wrong with the game is he's not Jewish enough, which is, in fact, Aaron's review of every game. So we'll get get a pass. That's my problem with Disco Elysium. There are no Jews. No, yeah, no one's (laughs) Jewish enough, except weirdly, the partner. Oh, my God. What's his name? Kim. Yeah, Yeah. Kim. Yeah. Who who isn't Jewish, but could be. Yeah. 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 This game also it like has a great arc for BJ and it fucking rips the third Reich. Like Hitler's a doddering old psychopath. The Nazis are always <laughs> yeah. complimenting BJ's Aryanness, even though he's half Jewish. And I think the other half Polish, I'm not sure. Neither of which the Nazis loved. Yeah. It, it doesn't um, really matter, but yeah. yeah. And in like, their no, eyes, that would mean, I mean, to let's be yeah. clear, like in their eyes, he is as Jewish as like anyone who the Orthodox would like. Yeah. So yeah. Once once you get into that perspective, it doesn't matter. And the game's like constantly making BJ realize that he's the real Nazi and that the showing how the Nazi world, like even if they won, is like constantly crumbling and propped up only by violence. Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything they have is built out of this like super cement 
that just is shoddily constructed so it always grows this horribly dangerous mold yeah that nice. all that seeps <laughs> everywhere and poisons everyone yeah it's oh god so yeah good. it's a great fucking game it pulls yeah. no punches it minces no words it coddles no feelings in short it's a, like an overtly political far left game would you say facts not feelings facts over feelings yeah. <laughs> and its message is that like racists sexists ableists and homophobes get the fucking wall from this absolute chat of a man <laughs> yeah. it's great yeah. they're good play them they're yeah. great yeah the second uh, one goes off the rails yeah uh but in a fun way like yeah. a very pulpy sci-fi 50s way yeah, yeah. And that's not just like our opinion of the games. The head of marketing for Bethesda, who put these games yep. out, said, quote, as we've said many times before, fighting Nazis has been the core of Wolfenstein games for decades. And it isn't really debatable that Nazis are the slime of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that would still fly now that they're owned by Microsoft. <laughs> Probably the fuck not. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when they came out with trailers for the second one, I think it was yeah, it was the second no. one. Like they ended it with "There is no other side." Yeah, and they said out, like, make... after nice. Charlottesville, and they said "Make America Nazi Nazi free again" is like another yeah. tagline to their trailer. So like, wow, that's game... so refreshing. Yeah, yeah, this game is about murdering Nazis, and everyone <laughs> who made it wants it to be that, and wants you yeah. to do it. Um, and it's worth mentioning because I know there's there's a, a lot of people who. I think a little unfairly maligned the Scandinavia as like more susceptible to far right tendencies, but like the studio that actually made it, like Bethesda published it, but Machine Games is based out of Sweden, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's a long history of anti fascism in the Swedish countries. Yeah, but you know, people well it's, uh, if they weren't <laughs> fascists, why'd they fight Stalin? <laughs> um, gestures, gestures. Gestures, yeah. <laughs> all right so wolfenstein very thoughtful very woke tells great stories incredible storytelling very this fun woke games. agenda yeah it, wolfenstein is the woke agenda yeah. um this is so, the future the left wants yeah, yeah exactly it is the future the left wants <laughs> so like on the one hand you get this incredible thoughtful game so now let's talk about call of duty god damn it Gameplay director Jacob Minkoff and narrative director Taylor Kurosaki for Call of Duty Modern Warfare something um, were once asked if an upcoming Call of Duty game was political. And as we go through these quotes, think about everything that Wolfenstein is and its overtly political structure and idealism. The response they give to the question of is this game political is a word salad so complex and multi-layered that it could win on Top Chef. It's <laughs> mind-boggling what they say in response to this question. So just strap the fuck in. Right. This is a long series of quotes that are insane. Um, begin quotation. This is Minkoff speaking. The question, is this a political game, doesn't actually mean anything. Because what does the word political mean to you? Uh, what is the meaning of the word is? The full Clinton. Um, do we touch topics that bear a resemblance to the geopolitics of the world we live in today? Hell yeah. Because that is the subject matter of modern warfare. 
Are we telling a story that has anything to do with specific governments of any countries that we're portraying? No. <laughs> so if you're keeping score at home, they aren't talking about <laughs> politics because that's not how they define politics. Um, In my head, that's like just a series of negatives over and over yes. again. And I'm like, wait, I lost track. <laughs> I, I was in a call earlier where someone described defined luxury as things that are comfortable. And me and another person were like, that's not what luxury is. You can't use that word in that way. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's this. It's like, yeah. So the obvious thing you just said is like, um, this is like a self-defining thing and it's non-disprovable. We might say, Jake, what do you what do you mean by political then? Don't define this negatively. Thankfully, Jacob Minkoff gives us the answer oh, in his oh, infinite good. wisdom. Yeah. He says that for a game to be political, it would need to talk about, quote, the exact administrations and governments and events in our world today. <laughs> Whereas modern warfare is talking about thematic things. Yeah, that's not that's not political at all. Yeah, you might have noticed that there's no political allegory in this. But uh, <laughs> Animal Farm is a book about yeah pigs i guess in this yeah it's, it's about about <laughs> yeah uh, pigs and other livestock it's not about anything else no if it was then then orwell would have named the pig trotsky yeah 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 <laughs> and the fact that he didn't name the pig trotsky means that it's not political yeah um yeah so on the one Easy. hand you have politics on the other hand you have themes and never shall the two meet no um so my next question to Jacob is, what are these themes? Thankfully, he answers. Um, he says that some of the themes of these games that aren't political themes, but are not, themes. Not political. not political. Are colonialism, occupation, independence, and freedom. <laughs> <laughs> but not political. Nope. Doesn't have not anything to do with the conversations that people are having in about every either currently imperialist or former imperialist yeah they're not talking about any of these things when oh. they talk about politics because no. if you talk about politics you have to be talking about specific guys i guess yeah you it's and like it it's has so to be widely today. broad that it's not about politics it can just it's just so yeah. applicable to everything that it's nothing yeah this is why rrr is not political yeah exactly. because it took place in the past yeah, and some of the events are fictionalized. Which and means some that of the events are, so it's not political. Yeah, despite the fact the enemy of the game is Russia. Yeah. Coincidence. Takes is, place is, in the Middle East, but... Is this um, the one that happens, like, after Russia took over all of Europe? I think it happens after Russia takes over, like, they're invading a Middle Eastern country. It's okay. the Syrian Civil War, is what this okay. game is about. But, um, but it's not. But it's not political. It's not political. It's not political. Um, yeah. Because yeah. it's not Syria. Yeah, no, it's... There's Al-Assad is not in this game. Yeah, no, so it's not political. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, so on the one hand, we have the overtly political Wolfenstein, a game where identity, geography, personality, and technology are all seen as inseparable from politics, even in fiction. And on the other hand, we have Call of Duty, which uses identity morality geography and personality to talk about not politics 
not politics. A story about not politics. <laughs> not politics. It's just it, it's talking about themes that exist yeah. in a featureless void. Yeah, and you can tell, and you can tell the difference because in Wolfenstein, um, it uses these political opinions to tell a story that glorifies a ragtag group of heroes who will do anything to save the world in the face of long odds. And in uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, the game they're talking about here, they use these tools to tell the story of a ragtag group of anti-heroes who will do anything to save the world against all odds. <laughs> um. <laughs> the, the, but these guys wear patches on their armor that show what country they're from. Yes, they so do, in fact. That makes it not political. Yes, whereas... DJ Blaskovich mentions it. He, I guess, by this definition, Wolfenstein <laughs> isn't a political game because yeah. it's an alternate <laughs> history title. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess we've disproven ourselves. Uh, yep. Wolfenstein is not political. Checkmate, atheists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up yours, woke morons. <laughs> yes. Um. I think the creators really do feel that Call of Duty is apolitical. And I just like Do you think so? Why why I, do you really think that why do you think they really feel that way? I guess I don't think they really feel that way. But <laughs> I want to take them seriously and think that they do here because I think that's a way scarier possibility. And we will all become afraid in part three. <laughs> Part three, a rising tide browns all boats. Um, <laughs> so shoving your fingers in your ears and screaming you are apolitical until everyone leaves <laughs> you alone is a common strategy if you're a video game developer or a movie studio or running for Congress. <laughs> but um, This is interesting when taken seriously, in my opinion. Wolfenstein the main point of it in some ways is how easy it is for the world to accept Nazi occupation. The Klan already hated everyone the Nazis did. White store owners had to add a few people to their we won't serve signs. The US government was already mass incarcerating the queer community. The point is that we weren't that far from them. And this gets into the greatest level of any video game ever, which I would like to walk us through for a minute. Is this the... the the southern the one with the clans members this is the yeah this is yeah. a mission where you play bj as he goes undercover and walks through the town of roswell new mexico it's roswell okay cool. yeah, I yeah. Cool, cool, cool. didn't remember that yeah. um so he's walking slowly down the city street as the like victory day parade for the nazis is happening in america um so you're getting really close to nazi soldiers and civilians for this whole walk and you're hearing snippets of dialogue the whole time you walk through it's simple everyday people talking about simple everyday things. One woman is standing with a Nazi captain discussing her taste in music, saying that she's really happy that German music is a bigger part of American culture because it's so much better than, quote, jungle music like jazz and rock. Um, that's that's a good face, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Another woman chats with her niece about their family, and at the end of the conversation, lets the niece know that she should tell the other members of her family 
that the ant is selling some slaves later in the week. Um, a man and his friend stand outside a movie theater discussing the new Riefenstahl movie. That's the person who made Triumph of the Will. Um, and they talk about how clean and wholesome it is and how they can bring their families and their dates. Not like the degenerate movies people made before the Nazis took over. A woman in a diner is talking to her child and saying they're eating out because the Gestapo took their help. And that was really inconvenient. It's a great fucking level. It's you do nothing except walk down this street. Yeah. And it's one of the greatest pieces of storytelling I've ever interacted with. There, there's one other bit from that level that sticks in my head. And it's like, there are a couple of, uh, I don't know if they're SS officers, but it's like just Nazis and they're talking to clans members. Cause like it, during all of this, there are dudes in full clan get up just walking around the street and the clans members are like trying to speak German. And it becomes clear very, very quickly that the Nazis look down on these on all Americans as just these rubes that are yeah. like one step away from going into the camps themselves. Yeah. And I think that that is also like something that makes this game very smart is like it had it on the one hand. Yeah, you've got all of those little pictures and snapshots of, you know, an alternate history where America fully embraces its racist roots. But also this portrayal, this correct portrayal of how fascists inherently look to kill anyone <laughs> who is slightly away from their group. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that underpins a lot of what makes that level in particular, like one of the shining points in that game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I also love about this level is these moments of like these chilling moments for people who know a lot about Nazis are put in between little interactions. Like there's a blonde young woman and an SS officer who were simply standing on the street talking about how much they love each other and that they're excited about their future. And there's a man who gets mad at a vending machine. And there are these little moments that have nothing to really do with the politics of the game that are interspersed with all of this. And it's a scene worth playing the whole game for. The rest yeah. of the game's good. But even though the game was dog shit, you should play the game for this scene. Um, and the point of this scene is that none of the conversations you hear on that street are political. These are normal folks talking about normal shit that's just happened to them. They're talking about movies. They're talking about what to them is functionally a yard sale. They're talking about bringing their dates to see a thing. They're talking about their music taste. They're talking about love. None of these topics are political to them. And it's this thing that I can only liken to a physical experience. I really like biking. And sometimes when you're... <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I'll pull it together. do you bike unheard of amounts of distance? <laughs> I do. Aaron and I were playing a tabletop game together, and Aaron, when suggesting an impossible distance to bike, said like 10 miles or something. Oh, Aaron, that's so innocent. <laughs> it's just like a deeply bikeable distance. That is a warm-up, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's okay you don't know i don't know <laughs> so like when you're biking sometimes you're biking on a really windy day if you're someone who's really into biking and bike when it's shitty and on a really windy day when you're going in the right direction you sometimes 
have a really strong tailwind. And that tailwind can push you forward, can be like going at the exact same speed that you are. And when this happens, there's a really weird effect where you're going like 25 miles an hour and the wind at your back is going 25 miles an hour and the air is still, the air resistance disappears. And so you're seeing complete chaos wind around you and your air is perfectly still. <laughs> that is what Call of Duty means when it says the game is apolitical. <laughs> it feels no wind resistance. There is no political friction. Just like the people in the <laughs> Roswell le uh, level are just talking about life. If you don't feel the touch of politics, if you don't feel that friction in everything you do, it's because you have a tailwind. You're traveling in just the right direction at just the right speed. It's very artfully put. Yeah, I walked out of uh, the, I wrote that and I walked out and I was like, fuck, Caitlin, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and she's been vomiting for two consecutive days. So it was like, stop talking to me about video games. Um, but, but I won't. Um, <laughs> Yeah, all right. I I can see why you think that they believe that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I actually think they're cynical hacks who are oh, trying okay. to control right. our brains. But <laughs> taking that claim seriously and like evaluating it in that way, I think is really important. Mm. Um, because okay. like I'm not the first person to point this to point any of these facts out, but um, it reminds me of an essay by a man named Walter Benjamin. He's a Marxist. And he said that the key ingredient in fascism is the anesthetization of politics. Hmm. He hmm. said, quote, fascism sees its salvation in giving these masses not their right, but instead a chance to express themselves. The masses have a right to change property relations. Fascism seeks to give them an expression of that right while preserving property. The logical result of fascism is the introduction of an anesthetics into political life, yeah. which I think is a fun like way. To, it's a good way to put that. Fascism yeah. is about, and in some ways is the thesis of this podcast, that like fascism yeah. is about creating dead art. Yeah, that really ties into a lot of like the Marvel stuff too, like the yeah. cinematic stuff, like how there was a, a, yeah, it was a podcast I was listening to called The Flop House, and they were talking about Black Adam. Mm -hmm. uh which i did not see and i will not see but it was like they were they were talking about it, it's apparently set in basically iraq but not iraq and uh so it's not political it's not political <laughs> but basically like black adam is this ancient wizard kind of guy and he's brought back to life after a deep slumber or something and fighting against like uh this corrupt administration and he is like the antagonists in the story aside from that group that he's fighting are also like superheroes that are basically like the justice league and the avengers who go to this place to try and stop him from stopping this administration because it upsets the status quo mm. and the problem with it is that it treats them like heroes and is like anesthetizing yeah. the commentary that could be made about, well, he's doing something that is good. And these guys are agents of imperialism. Yeah. And like the podcast is not 
like the, the two of the guys are you know well-intentioned liberals and then the other guy is just kind of like always online but left <laughs> left leaning yeah so like they don't trend in this level of commentary a lot but like they started hitting on it in this episode and it that applies so much to all of like the avengers movies yeah i mean i think you see it in like black panther one where like killmonger is someone who wants to like create a black nationalist yeah identity to like defend black people from oppression and the good guy kills him and makes one community center well there's a good video about that by a guy named fd signifier yeah, who does fucking watch FD signifier? Yeah, you really should. But his great. his stuff on uh the Black Panther series is like yeah. really fucking good because I like you know he brings up a lot about uh the Pan African movement that yeah. you know I know a little bit about it the about it but not a lot yeah. and talking about how that movie used a lot of influences from that and T'Challa is still kind of like the normative level. And one of the things that FD signifier said is like every every black person watching that movie is like, yeah, but what if one of one of Killmonger's ships, what if one of them got through? You know, just <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, just one. <laughs> yeah. Also, Michael B. Jordan and Black Panther One can fucking get it. You Jesus, that guy was good he, looking. Well, yeah, um, that. But also Michael B. Jordan is just a good fucking actor. Yeah, he is a good like, actor. Yeah. Yeah. So Benjamin, to like bring it all the way back. His idea was that fascism needs art that creates a spectacle, but that incurs no real reaction. Yep. Just like fucking Black Adam or yep. any of these other ones. Like fascist art has no goal innately and can leave you with no goal because then you start questioning fascism. Yeah. It is purely, it creates a purely aesthetic art in a way that art has never like been before the advent of fascism. That art can happen around you, you can consume it, you can even comment on it, but it go it makes you go numb. It drives you to nothing. The world yeah. simply exists and art simply mirrors it. Yeah. Um, the makers of Call of Duty talk exactly like this. We're making art with a they weren't making art with a goal. They're just discussing shit that exists. Colonialism exists. We don't have an opinion. We just put it in our game because it exists. Take from it what you will about colonialism. Um, I don't fully believe them that that's what they're doing, but I think that if that is what they're doing, it's more malicious than if they were intentionally trying to defend America from criticism mm. because it does this anesthetization process. Um, it's brain rot of the worst kind. It's fascistic and it ruins art as a concept. It's using art to make people indifferent to the world which is the grossest thing i can imagine maybe it's a good counter argument to well i don't know all right that that's a that started off wrong um part of like the online discourse about video games has been whether for a long time has been whether games can be considered art which is a and stupid I, fucking discussion. Well, <laughs> it wasn't stupid at one point. That's like, true, yeah. Now it is pretty much, yeah, you, of course. Like, you yeah. look at a lot of the big indie games and even stuff that's crossed over out of indie. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is, <laughs> it, it is media that is saying, that is making a point yeah. about any, something that yeah. is important to the creators. Yeah. But, like, Call of Duty almost operates uh, in that mindset still. 
of yeah. games could be art, but we're not trying to do that. Yeah, we're it's just, an it's an know. artless art. Like it's yeah. yeah, it's fucking weird. Yeah. And I think that like that's what contrasts it so heavily from something like Wolfenstein, where like the point of Wolfenstein is the pain that BJ experiences every moment. Yeah. And you experience it with him. But the point of Call of Duty is that you never feel anything other than like yeah. mild are, excitement. Are you even a character in Call of Duty? Like, like I mean, you, you have a are, name, but like, who fucking cares? Kind of, yeah. I guess you're like a you're like a stock spec ops guy in all. Yeah, of- it, it's all it. That's boring. I yeah. hear like the other two games are better at it, but like I played Met, uh, Metro Last Light mm-hmm. a while ago, and it's like this. I think it was a yeah, it's Ukrainian developed game based on a series of I think Soviet novels about the future where most of humanity has moved underground because of like monsters, yeah, up above, and it goes into like kind of like Scru- sorry, Strugatsky brothers narratives about like how humanity develops and uh, but it it strikes me as like a smarter version of Call of Duty because yeah. like your character doesn't really have any personality. Like there are hints of like a backstory for him, but most of the thing is like exposure to what's happening outside. Yeah. And the last light, again, I haven't played like uh 20, what the second one and then Exodus I haven't played, but uh still like has a bit of that. It, I think it came out at that point where it was like yeah. games were fully tipping into, yeah, they can't be art. Yeah. And like playing those games creates like a deadness in your own. Not like, don't, not like, I'm not trying to be some hysterical person. It's like, don't play any of these games. Yeah. But like, it creates a deadness to the, the kinds of stories the game is portraying. Like, if you play a bunch of co- the Call of Duty campaigns, it will create a deadness in you to the war in Syria because yeah. like you've, seen it already like i've seen a chemical weapon attack in call of duty and there's an there's an anesthetic effect of like seeing these things over and over and over again and is it i don't know we're talking about this and my reaction is like part of the thing that makes us so anesthetic is that it is first person yeah i think so yeah there is no body in front of you it is like you have gun sights yeah so it is like closer to you and it yeah. is that much easier to be anesthetized. Whereas Spec Ops The Line, which is a game that we are not going to discuss, is third person. So there is a character who is doing these things. So you're still yeah. acting as that character, but it's a little easier to see the difference. Yeah. And, and the what, di- what makes Wolfenstein even more impressive is like it makes these comments, but still being first person. Yeah. Which is which really like hammers them home in a way you can't do without it. But yeah. it is part of a genre that's so susceptible to that like deadening interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as like an evidence of the effect of this deadening, I would love to talk about an example of when this anesthetic wears off and how powerful that can be. Have Excuse my German when I say this. Have either of you ever heard of the Rossenstrasse protest? I don't think so. No. In 43, Hitler was going hard for the final solution. Like, this was the last push. 
And he made one final effort to get the last Jews out of Berlin. Um, it wasn't the first batch of Jews arrested. It was fucking 1943. Like the death yeah. machine is in full swing. Oh, this. Yeah, I know what this yeah. is. These Jews have been spared from deportation because many of were, them were. Yeah. Yeah. They were married to Germans. Yeah. They were married. And, to, they were largely men married to German yeah. women. And well, yeah. I mean, go ahead. You yeah. Did. Um, and that meant they were tightly woven into their communities. And Goebbels was cautious of deporting them because he didn't want to antagonize non-Jewish Germans and injure public morale is his quote. So he delayed their deportation for years. However, he's Joseph Goebbels, and the time's going to come. He's going to deport some Jews. So they rounded up and arrested about 1,800 Jews in Berlin. The last Berlin Jews left, possibly, at that time. Then a strange thing happens. The wives of all these men come to the prison and protest. The security department just wants to gun all them down until they leave. And Goebbels, evil guy, but not an idiot, is like, don't just shoot hundreds of women in the center of Berlin. <laughs> like, it's not going well for the Reich, and it's going to fall tomorrow if you do that. <laughs> yeah, not only women, German women, yeah. Yeah, but... like white Aryan German women. We're just going to take a I machine would... gun to them. <laughs> I would love it if that was, like, the exact intonation and word choice that Goebbels <laughs> yeah, had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he has some letters where it's like, he's just incredulous that the security force wanted to do this. He's, like, shocked. And so they spend a little time wondering what to do. They can't kill these women. They can't deport the people. It's causing a big problem. And so the SS just opens the doors and lets the Jews walk out. One woman who does the protest has this quotation, quote, we acted from the heart and look what happened. If you had to calculate whether you would do any good by protesting, you wouldn't have gone. But we acted from the heart. We wanted to show that we weren't willing to let them go. What one is capable of doing when there is danger can never be repeated. I am not a fighter. Only when I have to be. I did what was given me to do. When my husband needed my protection, I protected him. And there was always a flood of people there. It wasn't organized or instigated. Everyone was simply there, exactly like me. That's what was so wonderful. Um, yeah, really fucking great quote. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people should have led with that in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or more recently. <laughs> um, but there's something about that quote that haunts me. This was 1943. Upwards of 10 million people had been led to their deaths in the same exact way. It was in part due to evil, but that can't be the whole explanation. Like, fascists are always going to exist. There are just some bad fucking people. And I have trouble not holding this woman responsible for some of those 10 million she'd been anesthetized when it was her husband she was out there but she had watched thousands of people be dragged mm -hmm. from their homes and taken to the same prison and that's why i think something like the claim of call of duty is so scary which i know is a hard third line to pull from the holocaust to call of duty but that's all i mean it's it's not because it's a slow build to these yeah. things like it's not the, it, the the Reich did not start all of this stuff. Like anti-Semitism yeah. was endemic to Europe since yeah. there were Jews. Yeah. In Europe and since Christianity. 
was in Europe. Yeah. Uh, I, I am sure the Romans had their own anti-Semitism of, of any kind of thing, but like the modern variant comes up with the Catholic Church and then yeah. blown up with Lutheranism and Protestantism down yeah. from like the Catholic Church uh you know crush going down on uh, against uh jewish communities oh yeah i know in 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 germany and then like luther's all of his bullshit about jewish people and dogmas and everything else like all of that is just endemic and then like you have crusades that were originally launched against muslims and they're like ah it's a lot easier to just raid shtetls yeah, so let's yeah. go do that. And, and that I was like... talking to some sorry, Shark. No, uh, go ahead. This so redacted recently went through a big uh winter storm and opened up a few warming shelters in, in around town. And one of them is nearby where I live. So I picked up a shift to just kind of greet people and be a warm body. And the other person on the shift was this older, just typical redacted you know upper middle class lib who had like a just the kind of mindset where it's like doesn't know that homeless that a lot of houseless people don't have phones so they can't look up information and then like we were talking about like traveling just doing international travel and uh like i had mentioned that i went to slovakia to try and track down family roots and how hard it was because surprise surprise the austro-hungarian empire didn't like to keep records of jews <laughs> and she goes oh really did that happen back then i thought the pogroms only started in the late 1800s oh no yeah i was like no no <laughs> and it's just this mentality like it's a slow burn people are not disposed yeah. to think too hard about things that make them uncomfortable as it is and it's it's an it's an element of every little bit chips away at your humanity. So it's like even something as innocuous as the product manager or who the fuck ever for Call of Duty going, oh, we're not political. It's like, yeah, that's just a little brick in the wall, though. I mean, yeah. Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd is fucking good. Shut up. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's just. No, and I think that's like we have this idea that like nazi or fascist or whatever propaganda is about creating like ss members yeah but i think the actual point of most of it is stopping things like that protest it's creating a culture yeah. of feeling that like the rights of jews or gay people or whatever it's a complicated issue and so i'm gonna remain indifferent yeah those are the people that scare the living fuck out of me because I, there are a concrete number of Nazis, and much like B.J. Blaskovich, you can kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> and like, look, I mean, tiling it to to more contemporary, to like trans rights, you yeah. know, all of this shit happening across the fucking country. And every liberal I know is like, well, I don't know much about drag shows, so <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it isn't good. And it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just all another fucking brick that people are putting up and trying to not think about it because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. And and that. <sighs> yeah. And like um. Yeah. So don't play Call of Duty not because it's going to turn you into a sucker who's going to be duped by propaganda, 
don't play Call of Duty because pain is a natural response to your suffering or the suffering of others, and you never want to go numb. Yeah. Is the thesis of this episode. Yeah. That's good. I when I pitched this uh, this idea, I thought we were going to talk about how uh people in multiplayer games suck, <laughs> but no, this is much better. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea where we were going to go with this, but it's yeah. extremely poignant and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's um, a little scary. A lot scary. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I I, I so my no, I'm not going to never mind. <laughs> it's opsec opsec yeah <laughs> um, no and i mean yeah. the, i think that like that's the fight like i don't people talk about like reaching out to people on the right and de-radicalizing people and there is good work to be done there yeah but it's just a lot of the work that needs to be done is taking your parents or whoever and sitting them in a chair and holding their eyes open like clockwork orange and showing them <laughs> videos of kids being yeah. killed by drones in Syria until they cry for once in their fucking life. Did I tell you about the Dachau experience I had? No. All right. So I, I back in grad school, um, a friend and I went to Munich and just for like a weekend. And because I... That, listeners i was in england it was a lot of, i didn't just fly to munich from the united states it was, aaron, it was in aaron, england. aaron's a big <laughs> concentration camp enthusiast he's got a little like stamp book that he collects them so we quickly realized that neither of us had good german and we didn't know anything about munich anyway so we were kind of overwhelmed so I, I was like well let's just let's let's go to dachau it's right there i feel like it's an important thing so we go, and at one point, my friend turns to me and says, is this really hard for you as a Jewish guy? And I said, well, it's hard for me as a human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you don't need to be Jewish to <laughs> feel the weight of that place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like Auschwitz was the same way. Like, yeah. it, do you remember uh, Alan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like Alan went there twice. Wow. Yeah, and we were we were talking about it on the bus ride, and yeah, he was talking about how it was like very hard to go there the first time, but he knew like a lot of people on that trip had not gone, so he was like, "Yeah, I'll I'll go and I'll support my friends." Yeah, and good. yeah, like we went there with a coworker of mine and Rachel's who was pregnant, and there's a room in Auschwitz that has like all of the children's shoes, and that broke her. <laughs> for very good reasons even if she were not she had not been pregnant but like <laughs> people don't have the that experience like yeah. that is like the benefit of like looking into the stuff and even like schindler's list which is it's a saccharin movie but it's an entry point for yeah. people to feel things yeah. about that movie and like i know we, like i was listening to our last episode and we were clowning on uh saving private ryan but like even that movie has that a bit yeah so it does like you gotta just take little bits that you can to shove it into people's faces about what the stakes are for a lot of these things and yeah. i don't it, it's it sucks that there is no way to do that with all of the issues around the trans community right now 
because yeah. I was thinking about this earlier because I'm deranged and I'm like, is it going to take a murder like on a big, you know, national scale for people to take this shit seriously? Yeah. I, the answer is no, there already have been. Yeah. But like something that re- the George Floyd level, level yeah. you know, I like, mean, I, I think about. One of the stories that I like never stop thinking about as someone with some like queer intersection is that when the camps were liberated during World War II, they didn't let the gays out. What? Yeah. I I didn't know that. Because it was still illegal to be gay in all of the ally countries. <laughs> people Sorry, went Richard. people yeah. went from fucking Dachau and Auschwitz to prison in Britain because they were gay. God. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Even if it's against the law, they should get you a pass for having been in Auschwitz. (laughs) I know, right? You would think so. It's technically wrong, but we feel like did your time. (laughs) Served in Auschwitz. I mean, I feel like I am pretty knowledgeable about what happened. Like, I went to Auschwitz. Like, I've had, you know, I. That's that's kind of like the big problem with a lot of these. We don't talk it's about that one. Well, you don't no. talk about. Oh my god! And like this is the Jewish experience gets centered so much, like, and it leaves out you know the LGBTQ community, leaves out Roma, yeah, which is a big problem. Yeah. Um, the mm-hmm. only I think like the only memorial I have seen that is dedicated to Romani is in Kiev, and cool. it's like outside the Bobby Yar site and Bobby Yar is like a horrific site where it, it's like basically a ravine outside the city center where for several days, the Nazis just executed tens of thousands of people. It was so bad. That the Nazi made the Nazis be like, okay, this is too fucked up. Yeah. We need to come up with like a chiller way to do this. <laughs> yeah. We need to come up with a way that's not going to result in sui- mass suicides in our Einsatzgruppen. So, like, out in this area, there is, uh, like, a I think it's, a, like, a bronze statue of a uh, Romani kind of cart with, you know, bullet holes in the side on all sides to represent that. And I think that's, like, the only explicit Romani thing I've seen, aside from, like, plaques. Yeah. Which sucks. Because, yeah. like, if there... If there is like a a group in Europe that has been screwed over more than the Jews. It's the Romani. One hundred percent neck and neck. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I would give it to the Romani. Like, yeah, I guess that's yeah, fair. They, they still to like this day, like Italy's slide to where they are now has been hinged on their treatment of like migrants and Romani. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And Actually, I guess, it's sorry. Go on. Oh no, you just guess that that's like. That's the hard part about all of this is that like fascism uses art to anesthetize and it's hard to not be anesthetized because you encounter a fact like the fact that they left gay people in the concentration camps and the only response is like sheer crushing despair and like how do you force people to have that interaction and not find art that anesthetizes because like yeah. some level of escapism is good, but a deadening isn't. Like yeah. escapism that makes you fall in love with the world more is good, but escapism that leaves you with nothing is bad. Yeah. 
it's like the difference between that movie the good uh, the green book yeah and then like lovecraft country which is more yeah. explicitly about the actual green book yeah and the horrors of segregation <laughs> yeah uh the, the the book Lovecraft Country was good, but I wouldn't I'd I'd recommend you watch the show instead yeah. of read the book. I think that's a a weird thing. That's the first time I would say yeah. read watch the show instead of the book. Read yeah. The book. But yeah, no, I mean that's that's like the crux of it, is what you're saying, Shark, is like that's that's the 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 focus of art is like something that makes you feel and engage with the world versus makes you deadened deadened to experiencing things yeah and yeah how you turn that into a practical step to like make make good art that's it (laughs) take neil gaiman's advice and make good art yes that is true yeah i i like watch wendell and uh wendell and wise that was a great book uh jesus that was a great movie uh and like it i i don't cry often and I find it weird when I cry to movies, but this one I did because it's just very touching. Yeah. It's like a stop motion animation movie with uh, Key and Peel in a couple of the roles. And it's about a, uh, a teenage girl who has been shunted through the foster system and is on track to go into a prison, basically, just because of the way our systems are set up. And gets an out only to have that out endangered by a private prison company. It's a yeah. really good movie. And it it's good art because it like touches on a lot of these things. And it makes you feel things. And it's not just like performative nonsense. Yeah. And <laughs> Which I is think arguably that... usually why I watch movies and TV. But yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, but and I mean, you still I think have there's a feelings. version You're not of like that deadened yeah. inside, Rachel. Like I know no, you. No, I know. I know. <laughs> so, and I mean, like I watch. I love the Good Place, and I love the Good yeah. Place because it's like fun, stupid escapism. But every time I finish like binging the Good Place, I like have a new excitement and thoughts about what I should yeah. do with my life. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, and I think, Which like, I think what... is the like antithesis. Like it's not sad versus happy. It's like having an emotion versus yeah. not having an emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even as simple, like just that last episode in the good place. All <laughs> that's that just breaks. That me every gets time. me every time when yeah. she walks through. <laughs> yeah. Becomes yeah. the dust. And yeah. Yeah. This is so good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. 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 So like, don't consume art that makes you feel dead inside, unless <laughs> as like a practical way to yeah. control a mental health episode or something like that um yeah. use it don't like, don't do it and like going yeah. back to straight video game stuff ubisoft is very bad about making games that, <laughs> yeah yeah i like i i love me some some interactive documentaries as in creed games but they don't really make me feel anything <laughs> no no but yeah like i played uh pentiment recently which is a solid fucking game and it's like 15 hours maybe but and it's like set in the 1500s in a small town in germany and for most of the game you play a guy who is a uh working on his like masterpiece as an as an illuminator like an illustrator and it is one of the most like touching games i have played in a long time it's got so many good emotional arcs it talks it it does a good job of presenting how uh 
fluid movements within like people moving around in Europe were and how like people were able to communicate with each other with relative ease and like the way ideas informed each other. And it's it's escapism because there's nothing really I have in common with Andreas Mahler, but it's the escapism that informs like the ways that I think about that time period and how that relates to us. And like yeah. earlier, I'm, I'm talking about how like Lutheranism is bad for the Jews and that comes up in the game and it informs, you know, what we're talking about with the Third Reich. And yeah. And I think just because the episode's so dark, it's worth like spending time on that like good, like cheerful art still being good thing. Yeah. So I was wondering if I wanted to talk about this, but um, of course, do it. <laughs> Tolkien has this great thing he says that's at the core of like fairy tale stories, and he calls it you catastrophe as opposed to regular catastrophe. And you catastrophe is the idea that like. What if something inexplicably and unplannably cool happened? Hmm. Like, what if a good thing just happened? Like, a catastrophe, but good. Like an overwhelming, all-powerful good that couldn't have been predicted or thought of. And I think that that's, like, what makes The Lord of the Rings so fucking magical. And, like, it has its problems. But, like, people right. are like, why don't the Eagles take the ring to Mordor? Aren't, like, understanding the point of the book, which is, like, what if silly good things happen in a bleak world? Mm. And I think that that's, like, as important a message as, like, any dark one you can get. So are you are you coming out against uh, plot hole channels on YouTube? I, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> I am strongly coming out against the well, actually, guys, on the internet. <laughs> Nostalgia critic, eat our shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, like, those kind of lessons are just as important as, like, any negative lessons and make you yeah. feel cool. Like, that's why anyone who complains about escapism is a fucking asshole. Like, escapism teaches equally important lessons, too. Yeah whatever the fuck else you want to consume that's i you know i think going back to lord of the rings like one of the it, and i haven't read the books in a long time so my my source of truth for lord of the rings is the movies at this point yeah. but like that little that little scene in the mines of moria where gandalf and frodo are talking about gollum yeah and like gandalf imploring frodo to have compassion on Gollum. Yeah, mm -hmm. like that's a great little lesson yeah mm -hmm. and i just like... watched the hobbits the hobbit series too and is the same thing him telling uh what's his name the, the grandfather hobbit of frodo yeah bilbo or bilbo. whatever he's yes, not grandfather bilbo. thank he's you like uncle thank you yeah i'm like i don't yourself. actually know what that relationship is but um yeah like the true courage is like no are you are you life. saying that all hobbits have to be directly related <laughs> she's extremely xenophobic rachel <laughs> you i bet you don't even have the family tree of, of back end <laughs> memorized no how dare i even start to wade into those waters <laughs> no go ahead sorry <laughs> no but that no i was just saying like he, they touched on it in the hobbit too and it's like that's something that stuck with me for a long time yeah and it's like Gandalf's knowledge of you catastrophe because in the end of Lord of the Rings in the books, Gollum bites the finger off Frodo, takes the ring and dances off the edge in ecstasy. Like Frodo fails and yeah. then something catastrophically good happens that saves the whole world. 
And like the thing that makes Gandalf so magical is that he like understands that in the darkest moments, he's sitting there waiting for a you catastrophe. And that's a cool person to fucking be. Yeah. Where does Tom Bombadil fit in? I mean, he comes in a you like the hobbits are dying. There's no way out. And then Tom Bombadil shows up as a you catastrophe. Well, fine. Be destroy my snark (laughs) with facts and logic. (laughs) And these like plot hole Tolkien weirdos like just haven't don't understand that concept and how that like informs the whole world. It makes me think of um, stuff around Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, There's a YouTuber named Maggie May Fish. Who rocks? Yeah, I've only seen one of her videos. I like it a lot. She seems cool. Uh, And she goes into Twin Peaks and talking about kind of the way uh, discussions about like the first two seasons and then the return hinge on like the nuts and bolts and things that happen in the story as if that is the truth of the thing. And her point in these twin peaks videos is that it's much more about like the emotional mm-hmm. stat state of all of the characters in the movie and how ha- in the show and how that expresses itself through all of these bizarre occurrences like if you are someone in laura palmer's situation yeah it makes sense that the face of evil is going to be a very unnerving man clad in denim who seems to crawl out of nowhere in your bedroom like yeah it, it, it's the the whole like plot hole industrial complex discounts <laughs> the 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 emotional aspect and like the spiritual aspect of art which is very important when you're actually making art yeah it's kind of like the whole thing when you're trying yeah. to make an art yeah. And, and it, yeah. And it's it's the opposite of that deadening. It's like, what if the world was magical and mystical and mysterious and you can fall in love with it and be terrified with it and interact with it and just like, yeah, just fucking cry at more movies, listener. It's okay. You can do it. Yeah. Allow yourself that. If I can cry at a stop motion animation movie, you can cry. Yeah. I feel like you're talking directly to me because I avoid <laughs> movies, which will make me cry on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you, I'll go watch, watch Wendell and Wise. Yeah. Wendell and Wise. It's on okay. Netflix. It's really good. Oh, I you thought know. you didn't have Netflix, Aaron. I do. I oh, just don't. Right, I, I stopped like watching it a lot because uh, they took Deep Space Nine off. <laughs> that's right okay yeah still have it but (laughs) okay yeah feel the things be a human 